Hey, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the uh, Dollar Menu Mid-Carters podcast that is on Anchor and not Patreon, because things need to change, and we want to talk to you about it, really, is, is honestly it. I'm Jake, Matt's with me, and we actually have three guests from varying perspectives, and I think that's amazing and great, and I can't wait to... I'm so excited for this conversation. My mind is going so fast. Uh, so excuse me if I stutter or um, just pause for a second to let my mind slow down. But uh, if you guys want to introduce yourselves, please go ahead. Okay, I guess I'll go first. Um, I'm Mouse, uh, better known as uh, Billy Starks' dad, also known as the truck guy. Uh, my name is Jordan, but most people know you better as J Rose. I am the newest member of the St. Louis Anarchy team. Uh, I also work for Independent Wrestling TV and I travel across this land of ours as a ring announcer and a video grapher. That's a word, right? Yeah, that's, that's what I'll be doing. I'm Heather. Uh, I'm a fan and I used to write about wrestling. Well, there you go. All right, Battle Cat, start us off. So I, I came up with why they come up with these topics, but there are three things that a lot of people have been discussing that I thought we could dive into. And through that, we can go anywhere we really want. Um, so the three topics I had were representation, um, the speaking out movement, the cancel culture. We can start wherever you guys want. I, I, I think representation would be the best place to start. So for me as a promoter, I've always thought representation was very important. Um, I don't know if other promotions have always felt that way, but to me, it's something that's always been important. Um, lately, there's been a lot of talk about how there needs to be more representation, which I completely agree with, but I also don't feel I'm the best person to speak on that. So I was wanted to get other people's opinions on what they think about that. How, how, how could it be better? What are the steps can, that can be made to be better? Things like that. Well, um, I think me and you chatted about this uh, privately. Um, one step is booking more talent that fits those you know, diversity groups that are out there, those minorities that exist. Um, there's just, honestly, when we look at flyers, there's a lack of somebody that is from one of those groups on those flyers. Um, there are some places that do very well with it, then there's some that don't do it at all, whether that's somebody that fits, uh, you know, a black community, a Latino community, uh, whether it's, you know, LBG, I'm going to probably mess up all the letters, so J-Rose, if you can step in with all the letters, I don't want to upset it. L-B-B-T-Q-I-A plus. Yes, there's so many great wrestlers out there that, for whatever reason, whether it's distance or just lack of knowing what to do with them, they don't get booked. And I think if they appeared on a flyer or something like that, you may be able to get those communities to come out to a show and enjoy a show. Um, because I know we talked about representation when it comes to lack of, you know, black people coming to wrestling shows. 
and I know there's several people that exist in wrestling that could tap into that community and get them to appreciate the athletic ability that some of these guys have. Yeah, to like piggyback on what Mouse was saying, like it's it's very rare. Like I don't I don't know how to explain how important representation is to people who feel represented, or if it isn't even an issue to some people, because like it may be size, it may be weight, but like there there are people of all sorts of shapes and sizes like that. When it's somebody who looks like you have to go through the same, assumably have to go through the exact same struggles that you have to go through. You see them reach, reach those mountaintops, it's a whole different sensation. It's a, it's a different sort of relatability. And traditionally in wrestling, as I've come to study and understand, uh, it was just enough to be a face in the crowd. And, you know, that's, that's not enough anymore. It's not enough to be a face in the crowd and have just have a black person on cards anymore instead of having it be black excellence on a card. Uh, I forget who said it exactly, but I believe it was Darius Blackheart who put it like, why in every major sport in the entire world there is a group of black people dominating their sports? There are a few key exceptions, but like in the majority of major sports around the world, Black people dominate, except for the one that's predetermined. And I, I, the, the, that, that's something that's been rotating in my brain for months now. So no longer, I feel like wrestling representation isn't already, isn't good. It could always be better. But the positions of the people that you choose to represent and you have on these cards, Needs to be needs to reflect the state of the world. If black people all around the globe are excelling in physical performance, then there's no reason why in the one where people make the decision of who wins and loses, black people shouldn't be dominating in that as well. So, what are some ways that you guys think it can be improved? Starting from like, let's say a promoter level, and then like from a personal, from a wrestler's perspective too. Like, what would you recommend to anyone listening as a way to either help their roster or someone looking to get out more? Do you know what I mean? You more or less. Well, you want to go first, Mouse? Well, I'm just saying, like, for example, with a company that me and Jay Rose both helped out with off and on in Southern Indiana. The one thing that they did was everything was very uh, hip-hop influenced, so reaching out to black wrestlers was very common. Um, Definitely in that area, there was probably more black wrestlers on the cards than any other company running in that southern market, which of course there was tons. And one show sticks out to me so much was a show that had uh, A.R. Fox booked against Isaiah. And I went to the black neighborhoods and promoted the show for these guys. And watching these black fans that weren't used to wrestling, watching them react to, you know, a Byron Reed or, you know, A.R. Fox or Isaiah or, 
you know, these different black wrestlers that were coming out, I knew they were capturing them. And there's where I think a lot of people fell is they're not going to these places or they don't know how to go to these places and advertise to these people that may not really know what wrestling is outside of WWE. And if you watch WWE and you see how black people are portrayed, they're dancing and acting like cartoons and not what most of these black people are wanting to see. Uh, the people that they had at one point in time that people would want to see, they let go or moved down the card where you didn't see them anymore. So I think, you know, if we can get black wrestlers that are local to a lot of these promotions to go reach out to the communities that they're more likely coming from to bring them over. And I think once they see these different athletes do what they do, um, because there's so many that hit every demographic of black culture or just how black people are. Like, I'm sure a person like J. Rose relates to a Lee Moriarty more than say he would relate to, you know, a Trey Lamar or something like that. So I guarantee a Lee Moriarty would have captured a young J. Rose into wanting to be a wrestling fan. Because here you got this guy that's definitely influenced from, you know, Japanese anime and video game type of culture that just fits what a lot of these kids are doing. But then you I can give you one better. Who? I can give you one better, like a literal example. ACH is my one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Because I can look at ACH and be like, he's like me. I love Shelton Benjamin. Shelton Benjamin was the guy when I was growing up. I thought that he was going to be the next world champ. But Shelton Benjamin wasn't like me. He was hyper-athletic. He was muscular. He was cool. He looked like me. But he, he didn't. He didn't look like me and act like me. There was nobody who I felt truly represented by on, in wrestling until ACH came around. Here was this happy-go-lucky, always, always seemingly positive, obviously, like, basketball fan, anime fan, and, like, he, he looked like what I thought I would be if I was a wrestler. And from the moment I had that connection, that spark, I've been a fan for his for life. He's the reason, honestly, when I started watching St. Louis Anarchy way back in like 2014. I was watching like old, like LWA matches, because that's what you guys had on YouTube. And like, that's what got me into, those were my first times like actually keeping up with St. Louis Anarchy. Like, okay, what all was going on? Now, I couldn't afford a DVD, because uh, uh, that just wasn't in the budget. But it was what kept me on track. It's what introduced me to like trying to do a deeper dive in the PWG and a whole bunch of other entities that he was a part of. If you can find somebody that can grab the attention of someone, just like anything else in wrestling, when you can find somebody that can grab the attention of, then they'll spread out and help find other things in the scene. It's just that I think as promoters, the majority of being cis white males, they don't not even not even like purposely it never crosses their mind to it never crosses their mind to be like oh well what about fill in the blank uh there was a like uh one of my one of my good friends that lives in indianapolis her name is caroline and uh uh last year around her birthday she just turned 19. she had been going to wrestling shows since she was like 12. And uh, we booked a, a person out of the Seattle area named Sonica. 
and Sonico was, uh, is, not was, but he is, like, Latino, and so is she. And, but because of the area that we're in, whether it be consciously or unconsciously, we never booked, there was never any Latino wrestlers around to book. And so she immediately fell in love with Sonico because it was the first time that she had ever, ever felt like someone like her was wrestling. It, it wasn't even it wasn't even another girl. It was hey, just another Latino person. They felt seen. They felt validated. And then the passion from that validation spread to them looking into all the other promotions that Sonic goes into. And then now they're a whole fan of the Pacific Northwest. Finding these people isn't just a good moral thing to do. It's a good business thing to do. And if we, and if we can explain the promoters that. The business aspect of this is something that's worthwhile to invest in, then I think we'll be seeing results. You know, that's a good point. Uh, I have a good example of this from NWL. NWL ran the St. Louis shows when it first started at the Castle Noble Ballroom, which is down in South St. Louis. And it's surrounded a huge, like, um, Latino area, like a ton of Latino balloons right to the next to the venue. But unfortunately, NWL, I believe at that time, had one Latino wrestler on the card, which was which was Paco. And since they did different gimmicks and shit, he was known as Javi Torres, and he was just like a fucking low-card guy that didn't do a whole lot. Which, if there would have been enough foresight there to go, wait a minute, maybe this guy should be doing more. Because to me, wrestling is about emotional connection. That's why fans invest into it. That's why people get involved in it. No matter what level they're involved in, in. Like, you're not gonna, most wrestlers when they first start out don't make anything, or they make very little. Well, you're not gonna throw yourself on the ground for $10 unless if you really are emotionally connected to this business that you're in. And to get more minority wrestlers to like start training, and go to school, that all starts with them having someone to emotionally connect to. And there's a better chance of that happening if there's someone on a card that looks like them or that they can connect to in some kind of level. And that's how, because representation at that level is going to eventually trickle down to where we will, there will be way more people getting involved in wrestling, which is, would be a good thing. Absolutely. And it's just, I know the way I was raised, I had no clue what independent wrestling was until somebody came to me and wanted to go to IWA. And we went, I don't even remember what was on the card, I just remember half the chairs were broken and I was hooked to independent wrestling. I had only known WWF at that time and WCW. But once I started taking the kids to more local shows, I can just see Billy's eyes light up as she's meeting these different girls. Like it was meaning so much. Like she didn't care about the TV product. It was like, no, I can sit five feet from this. And it's one of those things where a lot of these communities, especially poor communities, have no clue this world exists. They think that wrestling is only done on TV and they have no clue where these people come from. Like I have to explain to people all the time, yeah, the, the kids met this dude known in WWE you know, years ago at a random place in the middle of like Ohio. They're like, what? I was like, yeah. And 
once you explain that stuff and you show them and you show them pictures of the kids with these things, they kind of light up and you can see where they want to take their kids, but then they're still hesitant. And I think we just got to figure out how to get people over that hesitation of wanting to go. And definitely to Jay Rose's points and to your point, it's just we got to figure out what pulls people in and what will make them keep coming back. Like, I've talked to Jackson about things that I'm willing to do just to get different people coming just to try to make the crowd a little bit more diverse because I think that definitely the product that you guys have is a great product and I know that you know, a lot of people would love the anarchy. Oh my god. Uh, I'll, I'll just pull the story. Uh, when I was working for a local promotion that was uh, helping like as the right hand man of in Indianapolis uh, my friends, like my friends that I knew from high school, they don't like wrestling. Wrestling as it stands to them is WWE stuff. And WWE is the same, bro. Like, look at, look at all that they do. Um, we're all familiar with Levi Everett here. Wholesome Amish man. He was in a uh, hardcore death match. Um, when I tell you that the the people my friends who came late because they're like, okay, we'll just come, we'll come at the end of the show if you want charges, and then we'll come and pick you up. I was like, okay, fine. We already made enough money, it's whatever. When their their eyes lit up when they saw what all was happening, it's not that. The thing I've been, I've honestly been told this, and I won't name names, but both promoters and wrestling, like wrestlers alike, have told me, my people don't like wrestling like that, and that's not true. Black people love wrestling. If you need any more proof, those uh, those Walmart dudes, whether whether what they're doing is right or wrong, they are 100% catering wrestling, air quote, to black people, and they got famous off of it. So it's not it's not black people that are the that are the issue, which is what I think promoters and such keep trying to bring up. It's not black people, it's y'all, us. We're not presenting it in a fashion where it's welcoming to anyone of that regard. Like when people go out and flyer, most most promotions have a street team. When you go out and flyer, are you flyering in 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 places where you know, where you've been, where you usually congregate? Are you reaching out and trying to get the places that don't usually that you don't usually get to the pockets of black community the pockets of latino communities and then once you fly there and they see somebody who looks like them it makes them feel a little more safe i will admit uh i first started going to wrestling shows in 2016 and for the longest time i wanted to go to iwa mid-south because in indiana at the moment that that was what was popping and my parents said hell no because uh, the portion of Indiana where IWA runs in is in southern Indiana, and that is to to anybody who's in Indianapolis, that's that's a bad, bad, not good. That's a big no-no. So they would not let me go for the longest time. It was only when I said, "Hey, I'm going with like my other wrestler friends, and they're black, and we'll make sure that we'll take care of each other." They're like, "Okay, fine." There is an issue of the optics 
encourage investigation. That's the best way I'll say it. The optics will encourage investigation. And then it's on your card, not just the people that you have to be the representation, but it's on your entire card, your entire product, to keep them coming. Representation, this, this may sound a little shitty, but representation may get them in the door, but it's the entire product that keeps them, kept, that keeps them coming back. No, it's just honest. That's how it's going to work. Because they, one, that particular black face that may have gotten the black family into the door may not be there next month. But if they find somebody else on the card that they enjoy, maybe they come back and they see that guy on the flyer. Maybe it's not the black guy that's there. But it's definitely one of those things where, like you said, I understand your fear of Southern Indiana, born and raised there. Yay. Uh, so I get a big city kid thinking about, ooh, going down south, having to deal with the potential of that audience because some of those people are very special. Um, some of them will get kind of racist. Um, there's been some racist angles ran there. So it's one of those things that's very scary, especially if you're watching the product on DVD or download or whatever you're doing. You can see where some of that stuff can be off-putting to people if they just search some random obscure wrestling and see some crazy stuff. Uh, but we just, I don't know all the answers as far as how we can get people in there or get different ethnic groups are different, create different diversity of crowds, but I know once we get them in there, they're going to love what they see. And that goes for a majority of the companies that I know I've done work with, that I know if they can get in that door, they watch it, they're gonna see stuff that they've never even seen on TV, things that are going to want them to keep coming back. And definitely Anarchy is one of those places that makes you want to keep coming back. Um, like Billy's mom hates wrestling, but she's learned to appreciate what her daughter does. And there's certain places that she feels comfortable at and that she will want to keep going back to because of the environment that they foster. Um, Anarchy is definitely one of those places. Black Label is one of those places. Um, there's definitely places where she feels like, I like it here. This is where I want to be. And I know that that same trait can be found in these minority fans that exist. That you can get them in that door, you can make them fall in love with the characters and the product that you're putting on, especially with how much action's going on at an Anarchy show. Because I know, one, you get some minorities in there and they see Gage for the first time, they will fall in love with Nick Gage. Oh my God. Nick Gage will be invited to the cookout. Well, I think that it, I think the responsibility comes on to the promoter. Like for me, I've always looked at Anarchy as the buck snuffs with me. And Anarchy's never had a problem with representation, but we have to be honest, and that's a big part too. And going into end of 2018, I did look at our roster and went, we need to, we need to have more diversity in the roster. And if you, you have to be willing to look at those things, even, and, and correct them. And I feel like a lot of promoters won't do that. And for me, I will reach out to somebody, like, mouth move that conversation about, okay, what can we do to try and, and diversify our crowds more? And you have to be willing to do those things and make those steps as a promoter to go, okay, 
whether it was meant to happen or not, we need to make some changes here. And then you have to make those things. You cannot put yourself up on a pedestal and say, well, it's not a problem here. Because it probably is. And then you need to make steps to correct it. And, and it stops with the promoter, which at Anarchy would be me. So the buck stops with me. And that's the way I've always looked at it. And that's the best way to look at it because it's that's the truth. You're responsible for the faces that you're getting into the show along with directing your talent on, hey, you know, there's a show, promote it. Um, and I love the fact that I went on a rant one day on Twitter and he messaged me and said, okay, this is something that we've been talking about or figuring, trying to figure out how to do better. What are your suggestions? Like most people wouldn't have done that. You were literally the only promoter that seen me screaming at clouds that reached out. I mean, it, it's just, because at the end of the day, I always say stuff on this podcast. I always say wrestling is not that important to me. And, and in a way, it's a joke, but in a way, it's true. Like to me, wrestling's not as important as making sure that people of all races and, and genders and sexual orientations feel comfortable in a space. Like, if, if Spalding Hall happened to be a place that we sold out every month, but it was filled with people who were racist or homophobic, I would not continue to run there just because, oh, I love wrestling so much. I would go find somewhere else or I would just go out of business completely because wrestling is not that important. But what's more important to me is just that everyone feels included and safe in one space, even if like, we're never going to live in a world where everybody agrees on everything. But we can live in a world where for two and a half, three hours, we're in a space where everyone feels safe. And that's always been important to me and will continue to be as we move through the next step in wrestling. That's fair. Uh, we're coming up on about 26, 27 minutes. Um, does anybody want to say anything before I cut this for a break and save? If, you, if you're a promoter and you want to know specifically black people that you can book on your shows, uh, go look at my Black Lives Matter mix on Independent Wrestling TV. Uh, I made that not only to celebrate the present, future, and past, of black people in independent professional wrestling. But I did that as a free guide for any promoter, no matter how small or how big, looking at you TV people, to try and find people to add to your roster that are worthwhile and good. Not just to add people for the sake of it, but to add them because they're good. So please, feel free to use that cheat sheet. Great. All right, we're going to take a quick break uh, while I save everything to make sure it's saved. Okay, uh, that saved, thankfully. I'd forgotten how tedious this could be when we actually have to go long and have important subjects to talk about and not just ramble about bullshit that, you know, matter I like. Um, Battlecat, you want to lead us into the next? Yeah, so I think the next topic we're going to talk about is cancel culture, which um, is also something I think is important. Because, like, for me, I don't know, I'm trying to think of the best way to start wording this. Like, 
there are definitely people that need to be canceled. The people that need to be warned canceled. Like you look at someone like Joey Ryan, he probably should be in a prison somewhere. Should be more than canceled. The fact that he just got canceled from pro wrestling, he should look at is that he got lucky because he should be in prison. Um, but I do think we get on a dangerous ground when we start wanting to cancel everybody for everything they've done, no matter what that was. And what I mean by that is you have to be willing, like you, uh, you might have a friend who fucks up really bad and you have to like be willing to be disappointed by people, but also be willing to let them grow based on what they do. And I think that we're wanting to paint everybody with the same brush and cancel them is a very dangerous thing. Because you're, you're going to see that with anyone who tries to make a stand or anyone who tries to come out and say, hey, these things are happening in wrestling and they need to change. Well, if that person's made one bad tweet in their life or made a bad joke they shouldn't have said or said something in private that someone has then outed them on, well, then they're done even though that person could be someone that could really help lead a change that we need to have happen in wrestling. So I think we need to be very careful about, you know, who gets quote canceled and who can learn and change and, and learn from the mistakes they've made, even if they are mistakes that are egregious. Like I don't mean, you know, if they fucking sexually assaulted somebody or those people need to go, no doubt about it. But I mean, like, if someone says something terrible, but they've truly learned from it, we have to be willing to let those kind of people grow and learn, or else we might be missing opportunities for that person to make their real change and then help change other people. And that's kind of my rough take off the top of my head on it. So, if you guys don't mind, I'll, let me, if I could go next. I, I would like to piggyback off what you said, but... To me, there's two different cultures then in that case. To me, there's the cancel culture, which is the way the Joey Ryans and the Chase and Rances should go. But then there's the clout culture, where people who just want their name, you know, immortalized, will go out and look for anything that they can do to start, you know, be like, well, I noticed that X person said this, or that someone said this 10 years ago, or made a mistake you know, eight years ago in their life. And to me, that doesn't help anyone, especially if you can trace what they said 10 years ago and then see the progression through their through that decade and see that they're not the same person that said that 10 years ago. That's, that's all I have. Right, and that's completely, I agree with that. And since we're, we're definitely in a scary place where there's no rules, it's very outlawish, so whatever somebody deems, you know, inappropriate or they don't like, they don't view the person down versus what they were. I'm glad I grew up in an era where Twitter wasn't a thing. I graduated high school in 2001. If people have heard how reckless or dumb I was as a teenager, I wouldn't be around. And it's one of those things where that's a very, very scary thing that I'm watching two kids grow up in that world like we had instances where they said dumb stuff and we have to explain to them 
with what you do comes great power, you got to be very careful because the things that you say can come back. Um, like recently we had the boy said something silly in a video chat with his friends and one of them recorded it. Billy had to go message that friend and fix it because it's one of those things, don't let that out. He made a mistake. He's upset about it and really hurt about it and he doesn't want to be shedding that light because he's a kid that made a mistake. And we're living in a world where a silly 18-year-old kid can say something stupid, tweet something stupid, whatever, because they live in a different world by different rules, and now they're you know mid to late 20s or whatever, and they're a completely different human being. They're not on the same thought patterns, same mindset that they were, say, 10 years ago. And we have to, like you said, see how somebody progressed as a human from the point of the dumb mistake to where they are in present day. If they're still making the same dumb mistakes, put them on that list with everybody else. But if they are changing and growing, then we gotta allow the person to change and grow. Like I, I say all the time, um, because it's something that uh, a radio host says, Charlene the guy says all the time, Malcolm X had to be Malcolm Little B before he was able to become Malcolm X. He had to go through the trials and tribulations of being a, you know, a burglar, to going to prison, to finding religion, to becoming an activist. It's the same way a lot of people got to climb themselves out of the dirt to become the person that they're meant to be. And we have to allow people to do it. And right now, Twitter is one of those things that I feel like it doesn't, in some cases, won't allow people to grow. Like, right. whatever you do, they hold you to that standard of that big mistake or small mistake that you made, not to the big changes that you've made in your personality or life. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. I think, too, it comes into, we have to, we have to understand, too, that not everybody comes from the same background. We all, all of us here on this chat come from different backgrounds. And we have to understand that not everybody has lived the same life. There are some people out there that are extremely uneducated when it comes to things like race issues and, and things like that. They're extremely uneducated. So if someone's extremely uneducated and they say something bad, we have to, I'm not saying it's like our job to educate them, but I do feel we at least have, we at least say, hey, you can't say shit like this. This is why. And we allow them a chance to correct their behavior. It would be the equivalent of every crime is different. If you murder someone, you shouldn't go to prison for the rest of your life. If you sexually assault someone, you should go to prison for the rest of your life. But if you do something not as egregious, you get put on probation. And, and in some ways, that's how I look at some of these people who are uneducated. They get put on probation. Okay, you fucked up. We will allow, here's why you fucked up. They sincerely apologize and then make that change. We allow them to make that change and show they can be better, but they're on probation. They fucked up again. Okay, obviously you're not trying to make a real change, so yeah, you go on the list. I think you made a really good point. Uh, I tend to hold people to what their apology consists of because 
I also grew up like right around the time that MySpace came out. That's when I was in high school. And so who I was when that came out at 15 to who I am now at 29. And something that I've learned over the years through social media and even just like in life overall, people who are genuine, who are merciful and genuinely sorry, when they apologize to you, they will own up to what they did and not try to skirt responsibility of what it was. And I think that's the big difference in between people like Jason who keep saying, oh, well, you know, I did it. Oh, well, I'll get over it. It's been, what, 10 years or whatever. And other people who straight up say, hey, look, I fucked up. I was young. I was stupid. I was not educated. I have learned. I have become better. My body of work speaks for me, speaks for it. And that's what the big important part is, at least from like what I've seen, especially on Twitter, where like a lot of people who have been called out for different things haven't gone on to apologize. And the few that I have seen apologize all the times, it's Oh, well, I was just young and dumb. Young and dumb is no longer a passable excuse if you can at least pinpoint where you were dumb and why you're no longer being that kind of thing. Uh, the biggest thing I have with this is the real big word, atonement. You can, you can apologize to high heaven, and I can accept your apology. But what did you do? How can we know that you've changed? What can you do to change? And that is not an answer that I have, but that is something that in my speaking with a ton of people is the issue that they have with what all that they're doing. And it goes by no situation deserves a blanket sort of conversation around it. It all it all it all requires uh, the word that I've, I've used the most in this entire pandemic that can be <laughs> applied to all aspects of professional wrestling, nuance. There is no nuance. There is only right and wrong. When there is nuance in atonement, we can start getting closer to healing. And healing is what we all want. It's what we should all strive to want. Some people just want hurt hurt for themselves, hurt for other people. But until we try and figure out, hey, not every situation is the same situation, and we need to treat them as such, one. And two, once the people who have done wrong figure out that they've done wrong, accept that they've done wrong, they need to atone for what they've done. It doesn't just mean that, in some cases, it doesn't just mean that they can say sorry and hop right back into what they're doing. Some cases it does, and a lot of cases it doesn't, and that's what matters. Say sorry, mean it, and then atone for what you've done. Real quick, I, I think that the, you made a great point there with some people want change and some people just want to hurt. I agree with that 100%. Like you see where someone else will do something and in the midst of their online either apology or rant it'll be well yeah but other people have done this and that and and, and like what's the point of that you're just trying to hurt other people and i i think you're 100 percent right i think it's like i think pain can be shown in what your actions are after the apology i think it comes more than just putting out a blanket twitter apology either I've done things before I'm not proud of, I'm sorry about those things, 
or rather specific specific situation you're apologizing for, it then comes down to what are you going to do after that? Like you put out a statement, you've changed your behavior, but maybe going the extra mile that you become a more vocal force, like maybe not, and maybe it's just in the locker room. Like maybe you see some say something borderline, and you go to that person and go, hey, you shouldn't be saying that. Maybe it's telling people, look, I'm not a racist, I'm not homophobic, but I've said shit in my past that I should not have said. And we can all learn from the shit that I've done. And that's, I think that's a start. Like, how do you atone for it completely? I, I don't have that answer either. But I just think it comes down to taking action outside of your statement. And that action don't have to be public. Everybody wants to do everything public nowadays on Twitter so that everyone sees it. And that, to me, isn't where change happens. I said this the other day. Change goes far beyond the Twitter app. The change is in the locker room. The change is how we treat one another. The change is making the locker rooms open to everybody, making the crowds open to everybody. That is where the change happens. The change don't happen on Twitter by going, oh, well, look what I have done. Oh, I agree with this person. Oh, I fired this person or that person because they did this. To me, that's all cloud-chasing bullshit, really. Like, change happens person to person, on the ground, at these events. And that's my opinion. And I agree with you. No, no big... Well, actually, no, like, it, it is a situation by situation, person to person. The issue, the issue at hand, the only issue that I have with cancel culture is the people that don't want change, they only want pain. Right. And figuring out the difference between well-intended, hey, this person did bad, they need to, they need to, I want them, I'm calling them out publicly so then they can try and become a better person and apologize for the actions that they did. And there are some people like, hey, fuck you, buddy. I don't know if I can curse on you. I'm so sorry. But like, okay. Uh, hey, fuck you, buddy. I want nothing to do with you. Get them out of here, boys, and run them out on town on a rail. Uh, once we try and figure out what is which one is which. And even with both of those, if it's something that's wrong, there still needs to be atonement and an apology. But once we figure out which is which and not just encompassing everything is, they're bad, they need to go, then we'll be all be better off. Well, I feel like we're a far ways away from that, but as long as the people who have the voice to do so continue to speak up and create the nuance that's needed in situations, we'll all be better off. At least I'd like to think so. I would like to think so, too. Uh, the scary thing that I look at is that we definitely live in a world where once the mob mentality takes over and people get to moving in that direction of they deemed somebody worthy of a cancel, somebody worthy of not being around, it's hard to come back from that. It's hard to fight and claw your way back. Uh, once they shut that door, we live in a world where they want that door dead bolted and locked and never to be opened again and I just look at everything based off of how I have to do my job that pays me actual money 
Um, I'm in the law prevention and risk for credit card companies. I can't make a decision unless I collect enough information to be able to back up the decision I'm making. Because if I don't have enough information to back it up, I'm going to have to explain to my boss's bosses how I may have let go millions of dollars, or maybe I held somebody from making millions of dollars, and now that merchant wants to take their business away. So you've seen the way I've acted, Jay Rose. I've come down with the wrath of God towards you about stuff because I felt that you should put your business towards things that you can excel at versus wasting time on certain things. And that's because I analyzed the risk of you doing something versus you doing what would actually get you somewhere. That's the same way when it comes to determining if somebody's worthy of staying or worthy of being told to leave. We have to evaluate the situation at hand and that person. And like you said, whether or not they've made amends for their mistakes, maybe they've grown or whatever it is, then determine that. I think sometimes people are quick on the draw and it's like you said, get them out of here because for whatever reason, they may have a vendetta against that person that just don't like them. And you see people beat a dead drum sometimes when it's like, you've already buried the body. Why are we still kicking the body? Because I've seen that a lot lately where people want to keep digging and digging when we need to figure out how to move forward. Because definitely social media and things like that and this cancel culture and a lot of it, it can't be mentally healthy for a lot of people to keep, you know, digging and digging. Like even for the people trying to get back in, maybe mentally you need to check out. And maybe some of the people that keep kicking that dead body need to check out because we all have to take care of us first. And I think a lot of these people aren't taking care of them first on social media. It's a scary place. But like you said, Jerome, people need to atonement. They need to accept responsibility for their mistakes and show that they've grown and moved on forward. And like you guys are saying, either they've apologized for whatever transgression they have privately to whoever they may have individually hurt, or they make that grand gesture on social media if that's the way that they feel like going about it. But we definitely need to figure out a way to better protect this business, protect people. Because even just canceling them and removing them from this business, we're sending these sharks out into the world to prey on unsuspecting people. I agree. I think it starts with leadership positions. Like, not everybody. Like, I've said before that I want to be a part of leading this change. I think I'm qualified. I have 17 years doing this. I feel like as a promoter, I've always been open to any suggestion or things people have brought me, their problems, things of that nature. I've always been open about it. I'm very open about how I run my business and feel like I'm qualified to help make that change. I want to, I want to see wrestling change, but I'm not willing as a leader to just placate a group of people who want everybody canceled for everything. So I think that if you're someone who truly wants change, you want to be willing 
when a promoter goes like doesn't make a decision to throw someone into the fucking ocean, that you look at that and go, well, maybe there's a reason behind that, as long as the promoter is willing to explain the reasoning behind it. But I think with real change also is gonna come sometimes quote unpopular decisions and you just it's just the way it's gonna be, like the change isn't just made clear cut across the board. Every situation is different. And it's up to people that are in the decision making position to make those decisions and be willing to vocally explain why they made those decisions and things of that nature. Yeah. Well, we're at about 20 minutes. Um, does anybody want to say anything else before we pause for save and move on to our next topic? I think we covered Cool. Okay. Um, the, the third topic we wanted to talk about is, it's a hard one. Uh, it's not going to be easy for any of us to talk about it, really. Um, I don't even have a good segue into it, quite frankly. Jackson? Well, I mean, we have to say the topic so people know where we're going. So this is speaking out movement. And for me, it really showed just the depths of, of how bad things, I, I mean, they still are. And this hasn't been changed over the course of a month. A lot of good has happened where one of these predators have been called out, have been removed. Um, you know, not that it goes back to cancel culture, not that every promoter in the country should be canceled, but a lot of promoters like need to hold themselves a little bit accountable because Look, like there, there have been stories about Billy Ryan for years, years, but yet he had no trouble getting work, uh, and that's that's a big thing. Like you, the victims should be believed, and yeah, the, I I don't know. It's very hard to like dive into the layers of all this because it, it just there are a lot of people out there disgusting human beings and a lot of people who allow disgusting human beings to operate for many, many years. And yes, yeah, truly the terrible. We definitely need to figure out a way to, with this business, to foster an environment where, whether it's female, male, whoever, that people, fans, everyone involved with wrestling can go to, whether it's a booker, somebody they trust, somebody that will protect them, will help them, will intervene, interject, whatever they need to do to remove them from any situation that they feel uncomfortable in. Um, like as a father of a daughter, it, it scares me that young women or people are growing up in this world and they don't feel the strength or the ability to go to somebody and say, hey, this guy over here or whoever this is, is, is weirding me out, creeping me out, is 
potentially abusing me or whatever, like it's very scary. That's why it's one of those things that definitely with Billy, we try to be as open in communication as we can be. Like sometimes I feel she tells me too much, like some stuff I don't want to know, but it's a place where she's very open and honest with us about anything she has going on in her life. She will talk to us and let it out, whatever's bothering her or wrong with her or if anybody's ever said anything crazy. We also live in a world where because she is her age, her mom is very much involved with her social media. So there's not many platforms she has that she really truly handles alone. Because, you know, there's weird people everywhere. Like, I don't know how women have gone this long without wanting to scream all the time because the stuff that people would just send her or say, and it's like, one, don't you know this is a kid? And why are you messaging a kid or just messaging any woman saying any of these things that you're saying? Like, you didn't even start with a high. Like, where are you going with these conversations or what are you doing with the decisions you're making via an anonymous app? Like, stop. Like, every time I touch her social media, I'm just blocking people. Her mom will start interacting a little bit with them to see what their direction they're trying to go. And I'm just, like, I don't know how any woman can deal with that. I'm sure Heather can probably attest to that. I'm sure she gets wild, outlandish things sent to her because people need better home training. Like, I don't know who raised some of these people. Gross, but I think a big problem is you said something about how women haven't been screaming about it, but we have. A lot of us have been talking about this for years and years and years. And I can remember one instance where a promoter, um, he was hugging me or something, and I didn't want to be hugged. And I was told, well, that's just how he is. You have to let it go. And then it came out that that promoter did a bunch of disgusting things to a bunch of different women. And I think back to well, when I said he was being a creep, I was told that's just how he is. Why is that something we have to accept? The only promoter who's ever listened to me when it came down to this person makes me uncomfortable is Jackson. And that speaks volumes because that particular human being I ran into shows that all over Florida when I lived in Florida, um, there was one up in the Northeast once, and then he showed up at Anarchy. And if you know me, if you don't follow me at all, Anarchy is basically my home. Like I used to travel from Miami to St. Louis to come to Anarchy. When I lived in Nashville, I would go from Nashville to um, St. Louis to watch Anarchy. When Anarchy wasn't around and it was NWL, I would watch NWL from my house in North Carolina because that was still the main people that I liked. And the idea that Anarchy is the only promotion who has listened in how many states is insane. And that's, that's just absolutely, that's a damn shame. Yeah, that's just that, one person. That shouldn't be a common thing. That's just, no, they shouldn't be like that. No, and like, uh, and they, we all come from a mother, and we have to live in this world where if we wouldn't want somebody doing that to our mother, we shouldn't be doing it. Well, if well, our grandmother treated that way, we shouldn't be doing it. Well, to that point, to that point, it's not just women either like no it's not Um, no it's not because women are really creepy to guys because i'm 
dating a professional wrestler and some of the things he gets is disgusting. Some of the things my other friends get are disgusting. Sorry, Jordan, you can go ahead. I was just wanted to a, a story about myself when like I've been reannouncing now for almost two, three years. I should have wrote down the date, I'm an idiot. But uh one show where I was ring announcing, a woman just came up to me, like in the middle of the show, because I'm like standing ringside close to like one of the other access curtains, and they just start running their hands through my hair and rubbing my chest. And I look around, it's like, hey, can somebody help me? And everybody's just like, eh, you'll be fine. And like, that's uncomfortable. And like, the to the to the bigger point, I never saw that person again. So it's not like a, a an issue that I felt like I needed to speak out against. That's like something I gotta I gotta I gotta live with. And it speaks to the uh, the best way I can put it is the predatory brotherhood of people who are in wrestling. Do I do I I one of the things I love most about wrestling is camaraderie the family aspect. We're all in this together. We're here to present a product, okay? We're here to, for the, the, to be as blunt as possible, make something that isn't air quote real. Don't nobody get mad at me, but you know what I mean. And make it believable. We're all in this together. That's brother. that's camaraderie. We're all here for each other in the different aspects as it goes for it. Whether you're a wrestler, referee, the other sort of talent, Whatever it may be, we're all in this together to put forth the illusion and create the entertainment. Because A, it feels fulfilling to do that, and B, if we do it successfully, we should all be making some sort of money. Keyword on should. Um, the thing that I've come to realize in my four years of wrestling is that people have taken brotherhood to its biggest extreme, to where there is no accountability anymore. There is there is only us versus them. And them can be a multitude of things. It can be somebody who you don't consider part of the family. But in most cases, it's fans where instead of feeling like they are, instead of feeling like they're, even they're the customer or they're somebody who's in on the experience to make, to make it all work, they're sheep. And if we can manipulate the sheep, we can get away with whatever we want to. But never let the sheep know that underneath their wool, they're actually wolves. That's the part that I feel is the issue, specifically in our industry, where it's better to continue to let somebody do what they're doing so we won't disrupt the status quo than it is to get them out and make things uncomfortable so then we can try and better things and make everybody feel comfortable enough to continue to work in this environment so we can continue to make this feel real so we can continue to in an optimal world make money but nobody wants to do that it's more important to stay in the position that you are and keep those that you came up with or you consider your friends safe than to have them be held accountable for what they've done and this isn't a problem i've seen in anarchy in like the year or so that i've been going Every, like, you guys, like, not to, not to be like, oh, I'm you know, giving you compliments because I'm on the podcast, like, you guys hold people accountable. But if there's ever something wrong, you, you, you're not only open to hearing about it, but you're, you're also immediately acting upon it no matter what. Nowhere else 
really <laughs> very far, few, far in between places that I've both worked for and just attended in my time as a fan, like, do that. It's always, well, if it happens again, we'll do something. And even then, at Tipitana, maybe we'll do something. Because who, who could believe that fill in the blank could do something like that? They're such, a, they, they're such an integral part to what we do. They couldn't possibly do something like that. And not only have I seen that as a, from, from the perspective from a fan, I've seen it like backstage as a, as a person who is a part of the show. And it's like that almost all over the place. And people put up with it because it's predatory. They're afraid of what happens. If I speak out, will that mean that I'm the next one that's going to be excommunicated? If something doesn't happen immediately, I will be punished. And now, I, especially coming from the state that I come from, that is something that is very, very, very prevalent. Hell, even to the, to the extent of the city that I live in, that is very, very, very prevalent. Um, so for me, I will stand strong. I don't like to put myself over a lot or anarchy. But I will stand on the fact that, look, if you run up and down our roster, all the things we've talked about today, is that some members of our roster liable to have said shit or, or done something they shouldn't have done in their past? Probably so. But when it comes to things like sexual assault or rape or predatorial behavior towards men or women, those are things we eradicate right away. Now, I look at each situation and go, okay, you know, what, what, what did this person say? Do I know what's in this person's heart? Do I know this person? And then I will make a decision on what to do with that person. But if someone comes out with sexual assault, or this person did this or that to me of that nature, I immediately part with them. And that's because you have to believe the victim first, and I will stand on that with anarchy that I've always done that. So there are people that will do that, and a prime example of that is Sean Orleans. Sean Orleans is a good friend of mine, and when these things came out, I parted ways from him over two years until it got sorted out, because that's, that's what should have been done. And so we 100% sorted these things out, he needed to go away because he could have made other people uncomfortable at our events. Unfortunately for him, I, he had to live through that. He did go back in our archives. We have a sit-down interview with Sean where he talks about those things. Two years later, the truth comes out and all that. But when this was brought to me, we, we had to do what we had to do. I was with NWL at the time, but still made that decision and it led over into when Anarchy came back. You have to believe the victim first. And I don't understand, well, I do understand, this is why that don't happen. Because this whole term, and you said it, Jay Rose, this whole brotherhood shit, it's great. The brotherhood of the business is great, but it does have a line. And that term, the term you'll hear all the time, gotta protect the business, brother. That don't just mean in the ring. That doesn't just mean you got to protect the business so the fans don't know it's not real. Protect the business, what this really means, if you're in the business, is the business comes first. So if wrestler X, Y, or Z 
sexually assaults a woman, well, that could hurt the business. That could hurt the bottom line. We have to protect it. So you get rid of that victim by either banning them from shows, you fucking slander their name around so they won't be believed. You do what you have to do to protect the business. And that's been a learned behavior for decades. That's why these things are going to take a long time to fix. Because all these people that have been in the business learned from the person before them, who learned from the person before them that this is how things are. So this is learned behaviors that we have to correct as leaders. And that's the shittiest thing at all that's been going on for decades. But in anarchy, like I said, uh, that that's something I'll stand on. Like we And uh, you should. Like I know I know it's very like it's like it feels it may feel like you're bragging about this and like I don't feel like that. You are standing your ground. If there was ever a time for any promotion to be like to talk they shit for like for to get to get like my mama to talk they shit about this situation, now is the time. Because these you are the people that lead the example. If there's anybody who needs to point to a situation where we need to remove somebody until we can and either we need to remove somebody and then if things come out ahead of time, uh, later on, where they have, their name has been cleared, well, they can be welcomed back with open arms. Just because somebody is, quote, unquote, nobody can see me, this is a podcast, I'm doing air quotes right now, canceled, <laughs> doesn't mean that if, if, they, if they can atone for their sins, if they can, if they can get help, or if they're cleared of what they've been done in, in the case that it's false, and I'm not saying that that's something that happens often, but if the, any of those things happen, they can be accepted back into what they're doing if they want to with open arms. But until then, you gotta go. If, if you did do what you did, if for nothing else, you have to go and get help, even if you don't want to apologize. You gotta go get the help that you need to make sure that this shit doesn't happen again. And that's okay. That's perfectly fine. I, it's, I, I'm sorry if I'm getting like real loud about this, because I'm like living it with shit in Indianapolis. It's, it's irking me. You're, the, your life isn't over. You can continue on, but you can't be here and do the shit that you're doing without going to get the proper channels necessary to go and get help. And even if you don't want to do it, if you're not going to go and get the help that you need, then you can't stay here and not be helped. You can't stay here and continue to live in the live in the mess that you've made. You can't do that. We are cutting you out until you figure out what you need to do. And for some people, there are crimes that are so heinous that you don't deserve to come back. But for the case of some people who have, I don't even want to name examples, because that's something that's up to us as a community but until you atone for what you did until the people that you've hurt are felt feel some semblance of peace or feel comfortable with coming to wrestling shows again you can't come back there's no need to risk you being around for somebody else's uncomfort you gotta you gotta go and that's the I'm, i got words i'm sorry i got i got real passionate about that but like it's not that I, it's not the end all be all. It doesn't have to be. It could be, but it ain't gotta be. People can change, and we want that change. But you can't change while continuing to do the things that put you on a platform. 
That's not okay. You're fine, kid. It's just, I definitely feel that, like you're saying, these people need to go get help, whether they're guilty, not guilty, whatever, they're still going to need help. Um, like Jackson used the example of Sean and what he had to go through where he had to go take care of this for two years. I hope during that two years, he definitely got help because being accused of something or even doing it, that's a heavy burden to walk around with. And as well as the victims that were subject to these shitty people. Like, I hope that they are seeking help because I would never wish any of the things that have come to light over the past month or two to ever happen to my daughter. I, I promise you, if anything ever happened to her, I wouldn't be on a podcast. Y'all would have to get a podcast from a prison cell because I'm openly told people and willing to do life to protect her at all costs. So for young men, women, whoever has ever had to deal with this type of stuff, I really hope the people that have committed these crimes either are going to prison or getting help. That way they don't do it and regular life because just being sent away and banished from wrestling isn't going to fix predatory behavior and that's the scary thing is that we're releasing people from our world to go into other worlds and now they're loading around and people may not know that dude's not trustworthy or that lady's not trustworthy and that's the biggest scary thing about all of this is that some people really just don't know because they don't live in our bubble. Yeah, I don't think Sean would mind me saying it. I know for a fact he went through intense therapy for at least a year, maybe maybe the whole time. He he had therapy for a while because everything that happened. Yeah, it was a lot for him, I'm sure, to deal with. Everybody within our bubble heard, seen, watched on social media as he was labeled something that he knew in his heart he wasn't. And that most of it lasted for about a year, year and a half before more information started coming out. And that's got to be scary. Like, I know if I was in his shoes, I don't know if I could ever have come back. Like the fact that he's gearing up to have a match that's gonna be streamed. It's like, I would be shitting my pants knowing what half these people in this bubble thought of me two years ago. And that's a very scary thing to live in. So I couldn't imagine the young ladies that have been victims of these people going back into this world after, you know, coming out with their stories or even the people that have continued to stay in this world with things that have happened to them. Like that's beyond something brave that I couldn't do. I think the quote, Heather, you got, I'd like for you to close it out. You have more to add. Um, I think the main thing I have to add is 
nothing changes until fans hold other fans accountable, until wrestlers hold other wrestlers accountable, and until promoters hold everyone accountable. Because at the end of the day, we've been through this before where people start getting called out and then we move past it. We can't move past it. Like, we just can't. If you've read even a quarter of the stories that have come out, you'll see that it's repetitive to the point where people knew people were hiding it. We can't keep hiding these things. Like, nothing changes for our society. Nothing changes for our kids, our future kids, for the people who are growing up in this unless we stand up now and make actual change. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm still there. Yeah, I'm about ready to. Let's just pause on that. That's um, that's all the topics we had. Uh, and if you guys out there listening to this have other topics or questions, uh, let us know. We got one question, and Matt covered it. Um, but yeah, yeah, please don't ever be afraid to reach out to us. I, I don't want to speak for the rest of you, but I think I can speak for Matt myself. Um, please don't ever be afraid to speak out to us, whether you're a wrestler or a fan. It doesn't matter. Um, I think we've always listened. Matt's always listened. Um, so please always come to us. Hey, I appreciate you guys doing this. These are difficult topics. I appreciate you guys taking time to come on and discuss this stuff. And hopefully people listen to this and Maybe it'll open up the discussion a little bit more. Honored to be able to do it. Hopefully next time we can all get on here and talk about something happier. <laughs> well, that'll be the goal if we do what Heather said, which is don't let it stop here, keep it going. Alright, thank you guys. Yep, thank you guys, and uh, I don't know the next time we'll be back with a public podcast, um, and like J. Rose says, hopefully it's on Happier Tides, but um, we appreciate you guys listening, and speak out when you need to. Don't ever be afraid. Thanks. Thanks.